BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Diversity Remix. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. The episode title today tells us all we need to know, and the title is, Who Can We Trust? It seems that everyone from business to politicians and even sports teams is grappling with their response to supporting the current social moment, but can we trust what they say? Can we trust them as consumers? Are these any more than just marketing tactics to seem supportive while in reality not wanting to upset the status quo? Or is the opposite true, that overly woke owners and players are trying to dictate the new sports reality to the rest of us? What are the right forms for athletes to support social justice causes? Is there fatigue starting to set in? Or a need to have politically free forums so that we can just have entertainment or sports? This and a number of other questions we'll be looking at on this episode of Diversity Remix. Lots of fun stuff today, Jesus. Very exciting. I've been looking forward to this one. Very timely, too, with a lot of, you know, some new leagues kicking out or kicking their season. So very excited to get into this. I'm expecting some fireworks and some interesting comments, which I think is good. Like we said in the beginning. No, you said in the beginning at some point that... uh, that this should be like any negotiation where everybody walks out like slightly unhappy in a good slightly negotiation. Unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that, what that's we're going to be this one, I think. Run into. So, lots of questions we want to get right into it, but before we do, we want to give thanks to the sponsor of this episode of Diversity Remix, our friends at Go Noodle. Go Noodle is a kids first entertainment company. It's a really interesting firm based out of Nashville, Tennessee. We met those guys a couple of years ago and really dove into uh, to a, a lot of work with them. The part that I love most about them, besides the people, because they're really, really solid people, is that they've dedicated this company to really creating content that drives mindfulness and motion for kids, and obviously, by extension, their parents. They also have a very deep connection with the educational system, with teachers in particular, so they create content that gets kids to move and be mindful in all the different settings of their day, from school to uh, to their home, and now, in- increasingly, uh, those two things are the same thing. They do a lot of really interesting things, um, but most significant, at least today, at the beginning and the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, which we begin today on, on the 15th of right, September, day, yeah. um, they're actually launching an entirely new initiative called Vamos Go Noodle. And the idea of Vamos Go Noodle is to deliver bilingual and bicultural content that embraces the roots of Latino cultures and allows kids to bond with new friends through language, music, and dance. It's all about authentically engaging and empowering Latino kids and all kids and celebrating the multicultural world that kids live in today. I think it's really cool. It's also a testament to the fact that the guys at Go Noodle um, have been thinking strategically about how to connect 
with audiences as their constituencies evolve and change. And we all know that young kids especially are becoming more and more diverse every day. So they took a, a, a you know, a real line against this, a real strategy against this early on, and they developed a new way to connect with these audiences. And that actually launches today, Vamos Go Noodle. You can find out um, more about it by going to vamos.gonoodle.com, and that will show you the kind of content and the approach that they're taking to basically transform their already successful platform to support and reach diverse consumers and better serve them. So uh, to the folks at GoNoodle, thank you for being a part of our journey here with the Diversity Remix. All right, Jesus, let's get into it. Do we, should we trust companies or brands? Like, where do we even begin to have this conversation? Well, I guess the beginning should be is that, look, and we've, we've, think we've covered this in a couple a couple times before, but one of the, the elements that you've seen uh, happen in, in across the board, across almost every single sector, is that in response to especially the George Floyd killing is you had this rush from brands, companies, in trying to make a statement pretty quickly. Um, in that process of making a statement, in a statement of support around fighting uh, racial discrimination and, and just social costs in, in, in general, um, a lot of brands have also been kind of called out in that moment, uh, in part for a number of reasons. One, from the, the statements that they make many times don't necessarily align with how that company actually operates or even how diverse they are. There's a, a Twitter account that we, I forget the name of it now, that we covered before, that, um, that or an Instagram account maybe, where they basically took all the logos of these brands and created sort of versions of them uh, in different shades of white, depending on how non-diverse they were. So the, the more non-diverse, the whiter that... You may have mentioned it, but I don't remember this. I haven't yeah, seen we it. Yeah, I'm blanking right now. Sounds pretty cool, though. It's a pretty funny concept, yeah. but it's like making it really, really obvious, right? Got to lead to some So you have all these companies going out there, making a statement. There's a number of them also have now set up funds specifically geared towards facing, facing or fighting against racial discrimination. Uh, but the question still becomes for the average consumer... How much do they actually trust the how genuine these these statements actually are from these companies, right? So a good starting point of this is we looked at some research that was put out by Pew. Uh, now this was a study that was done in July of this year, right? So just a couple of months ago. And the first question was that, you know, the question was looking at how Americans felt specifically about companies that make public statements about both political uh, or social issues. And how that varied depending on their their party, their race, or ethnicity, right? So this is whether they felt they were supportive, and and you know in this study you sort of look at look at it two ways. Is one is whether they were supportive, as somewhat or very supportive of companies making these public statements, or not at all. So we'll go through a couple of these categories. But it's but your it's your typical two box two top two box score thing. Correct. It's like I either really agree with something yeah, or so I somewhat agree with something. So I'll give you the, the first one in more detail, and then we'll, we'll break out the other ones a little more of a summary. So as it relates to overall U.S. adults, 52% of them reported to say that they were supported, either somewhat or very supportive, of companies making public statements around political or social issues, right? And then 48% being not supportive, either not at all or, or not supportive. So think of this as a sort of plus 2% in the support side, right, uh, in favor of. Now, it gets really interesting. We start looking at actual uh, ethnicity breakouts, right? So for uh, white Americans, that breakout was actually a minus eight in terms of not supportive, right, of, of these, these companies making these statements. For black uh, Americans, it was a plus 25. For Hispanics, a uh, plus 16. And then for Asians, a plus 20. So 
big differences there in terms of the level of support, um, the, you know, depending on, on ethnicity. And then we look at... So the shorthand, just really quick to make sure everybody's tracking, right? So the shorthand is, for on the whole, white folks were the least enthusiastic about brands taking a stand on any social issue um, compared to specifically um, blacks, which had the highest level, right. followed by Asian, followed last by Hispanic. Yeah, and, and one, thing, one thing that is worth noting here is actually not saying that whether or not any of these ethnic groups believe in these social issues or to believe they're important. Yeah, it's simply that's speaking directly to yeah. what they, they be was the role of companies right. making public statements in support of these issues, right? So we do need to make that really clear yeah. distinction, right? And then, but by the way, I don't know if that's a really big, important distinction that super, I, yeah, I don't important, think yeah. people pay attention to for the most part, because you're right. I think people here are just saying, should brands talk about stuff other right. than brand stuff that they do? Which, which is, by the way, is going to be a theme of, <laughs> yeah, of this episode. For sure. So let's look at this based on on party, right? So for, Repo- for Republican uh, um, or leaning Republican, uh, that was actually a minus 19 in terms of support. And then for Democratic-leaning folks, um, self-reported, was a plus 21. So obviously big variance as well there in terms of how these folks felt about these companies making a statement. So when you hear that, Charlie, what, what is your initial sort of response to that? And overall, people feeling this way, and, and you've seen some pretty sort of big contrast in terms of how different groups feel about the role that companies have in yeah. making these kind of public statements in, in support of, of these various issues. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think everything today begins with the fact that, sadly, it's a very polarized topic, right? So it seems pretty quickly that there is, you know, roughly equal parts on the side of this argument, right, 48, 52. But then when you break it out, there's some, there's some nuance there in terms of the different groups. And from a political perspective, it's literally night and day, right, of, of the more conservative side of the equation, feeling that brands should kind of, at least I read it as, should just stick to what they do and, and what they know. Right. And where the more liberal uh, you know, persuasion believe that the brands have maybe an opportunity or obligation or right, and this study doesn't talk about how nuanced, but basically that they should be speaking about it. Look, my perspective is you know, maybe somewhere in the middle in the sense that I believe that brands and companies have a responsibility because you know, for the same reasons we started this podcast, right? The spheres of that could be more neatly compartmentalized in the past are no longer the case, mostly because of social media. And so as a result of that, I believe that they have to wade in, in one way, shape, or form, either at a state level, at a national level, they're going to have to do it. But I do think that it, to me, it depends on who does the waiting in. Because if you're an authority, if you're a brand that's sort of valued and recognized and does a really, really great job of something, that's one thing. If you are a brand that is in the kind of nice-to-have category or or maybe in a super competitive set, it can come across as really hollow and empty and unmeaning. And sure. I think that's a lot of what's going on in sports is that all this stuff rings, to me, so bogus that I think some of these, when I see the, the negatives— especially for maybe people more in my food group who tend to be more conservatively aligned. I think a lot of the negativity might be just around that. And I wish they would have asked the question there. It's like, does any of this stuff sound real to you? Because my aversion to a lot of this messaging is it sounds fake, is what it sounds like. And we'll get into it as we talk about well, sports later. But yeah. that's like my initial thought, just to yeah, kind of get I, us started. I think part of it is uh, whether or not it sounds fake, whether or not it actually aligns to the brand values, right, and how the brand is actually established. I think part of it, though, it's, it's it goes to what you said earlier, which is 
the reality is those fears, literally the whole genesis of this of this podcast is that those fears are now overlapping. And whether we like it or not, these are all conversations that need to be addressed, especially at a business level, right? You don't have the luxury of of being able to completely stand on the sidelines. Few few brands do. I'm sure there's some that choose not to engage in any way because the the expectations from consumers, the expectations from really from everyone that brands have voices, need to have a voice, need to have values that are externally communicated. I think the other thing that we had talked about previously is that also the forms of communication, starting with social, also give you, is a good and a bad, and it says it gives you more venues to be able to express the brand that yeah. goes beyond simply putting together a 30-second, 60-second spot, which is a very controlled environment of how you present your brand to uh, as, a, as a basically an advertising spot. Um, well, in some cases, it's, al- to, it's always on in some cases, right? Yeah, Look at the QSR category with Wendy's and Burger King and all that stuff. They're like constantly talking to each other. And these sh- social handles have literally become almost characters. They, they are, yeah. In many cases, and famously so in some cases, right? And and some very effective at this, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of using their social as a way to, to build a voice and, and have its own falling on its own. But I think the question that you got into, which is the, the part of the downside is when it comes off as not being genuine, or the other way to think about it, which is actually one of the, the things that Pew did look at, which is what people believe was the reason why they were making the statement, right? So I'll give you another little quick data set there, right? So another thing that they looked at was they wanted to understand or they asked the question, what people felt, you know, in how many cases was this, was this sort of public statement a direct result of pressure from others to address the issue as opposed to actual genuine concern about the treatment of black people in this country, right? So going back, giving you the same kind of breakout. First, for you as adults, uh, 69% of the respondents said that they saw it as being basically coming from pressure from other from other groups to have to address this. So sort of that social pressure to say something uh, versus 19% of that genuine concern. And then when you looked at the breakout by ethnicity, it broke out as whites for 73 percent of them had sort of noted as other other groups you know being the pressure versus 14% of genuine concern blacks 62 versus 30 hispanics 63 versus 31 and then asians 59 versus 16 um and then when you look at it by by democratic by by party or political affiliation republican leaning or republican or republican leaning were at 75% of them basically said this they thought it was coming from pressure from other other groups uh, versus actual 14%, what they consider to be genuine concern, mm-hmm. that compared to Democrat leading a 65 versus 22. Yeah, I think for me, I look at this and I see, well, here's a much closer grouping of all of these same demographic segments that we just talked about previous, previously that had this huge variance. Now they seem much more aligned, at least in thinking that the bulk of this conversation isn't happening just because you woke up and decided to care, but because somebody's putting the screws to you. And right. th- whether it's your board, whether it's consumers on Twitter, whether it's your employees, which is another thing that people don't think about, but yeah, you and I know it's a big, big factor, very yeah. like authentically, even recently, we've gotten a lot of outreach from companies where it's the employees that are driving the internal need for change. There seems to be a lot more alignment on the fact that this is about pressure from others. Right, and I agree with that. This is this is part of what drives the sort of lack of in, of uh, or the disingenuousness, to my mind, is that you can just tell it comes across forced. We're going to get into sports in a minute, but just this week, right? Um, Kaepernick was complaining about the NFL and the way that they 
produced some content right. recently, and his beef was like, it's it's not real, it's phony, right? So, and on the other side, they're getting beat up too. We'll, we'll yeah, put that we'll aside for a second, that. but you just but, can't wait. You really can't. can't I love hold sports. Off to talk about the I sports want to talk side. about sports, but no, but but I think I, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, we yeah. all agree on this, and we should celebrate agreement because we don't have a lot there of it is, today. Yeah, funny enough, there's actually is some pretty big agreement, and I think especially when you look at the percentage of these groups that actually identified you know, those responses from, from companies as being due to genuine concern, right? The highest ones were blacks at 30, uh, actually the highest one was actually Hispanic at 31%, followed by black at 30. But think about that, right? They're saying at the highest end, we felt that basically 30%, 30, 31% of those responses from corporations was of actual concern. That means that 70% really wasn't. And on the one hand, you could, you could sort of look at this two ways. You can say, well, all of this is just a bunch of social pressure that is happening because we're in an election year, because we're in a very woke moment. So I can be very skeptical about all of it, right? So that's one way to think about it. The other one is that, well, when I look at the the history of most companies and how they tend to address any of these more socially charged, controversial topics, no company out of, well, not many, no, few companies out of pure willingness is going to want to walk into something that is socially charged, controversial, unless being forced to in one way or another, either by consumers yeah. or by employees. So but I'm also a, not actually surprised to see this at all. But there's an insight even even beyond, I think, what you just said, which is most companies wouldn't generally want to wade into contentious issues. It's even more pronounced when the contentious issue is representative of a culture or viewpoint or perspective they don't themselves have right. internally. Well, the ex- that's actually a great one. Right? So the exception is when you are a company that is built around that, where that is a core part of Correct. your value system that you're going after. And I'm sure there's there's some we can, we can talk about or think about that are that have all of the authority to have a certain type of conversations, right? 100%. So that's what I meant. Something the, completely unrelated, yeah. but in that sort of category is Tom's Shoes, Right. Tom's Shoes is a company that its genesis, part of the idea, was about trying to address this very practical issue happening with kids that were had basically had, had lack of resources, started in actually Argentina, right? All these kids not having shoes and all of the impact that it had in their lives because of not having shoes, right? So, to, so if Tom's decides today to jump on on a social uh, issue related to better serving, creating more opportunities for, for, for countries that have, you know, that are dealing with poverty, for groups that are more marginalized. They have tons of authority to say it because that's its core to yeah. who they are. And you can see them, I'm sure, leaning hard to those and no one's going to blink an eye as say like, well, that's not really genuine to, to who you are because that's actually part of the story. But most companies will start that way. Most companies are not built around a social cause or like where it's such a core part well, of, of, of who they are, mm-hmm. right? What to start off with. So part of the question is like, well, how do you then, like, do you want to, I mean, I guess you could fault them for wanting to do that at some point or, or call them being fake, but you just got to give credit to companies wanting to actually do something about it, wanted to step up and wanted to be, get involved, even if it's because they're being pressured by board, customers, employees, et cetera. Two thoughts on that. One is that you're right about the authority that Tom's would have on the social um, on a social cause that had to do with sustainability, poverty, all those things. And you're right, they've built that voice over time. I think that it's different in this case because the social cause is one of representation, one of ethnicity, one of perspective, one of, of course, the issues going on with um, uh, violence and police brutality and all those different things. But it's fundamentally one about diversity. And 
the vast majority of these companies is out of position with respect to the inside of their company being like the outside of, of, of the world or the US. So I think that they have this added layer, this added obstacle to kind of overcome because they don't live a lot of these experiences themselves. And I understand that, by the way. I understand the hesitation. I think the difference for me is you cannot be and not have that shared experience and still invest in the understanding of those consumers, communities, et cetera. And that can also give you authority, right? Because I'm big on people right. not losing their own personal agency. I do not believe that if you're not Asian, you can't talk about things that impact the Asian community. As I don't believe that if you're not Latino, you can't talk about Latino you know, important things. In fact, I believe the opposite. I think we all need to talk more and be more interested in other in other groups and cultures and things. So I think we 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 can't lose our agency you know, in that process. But for me, it's to what degree are you investing in these areas, that's going to correlate to me almost on a one-to-one -one basis with whether or not your message feels legit. And, and, right. and, and maybe the toggle, just to go one step later or deeper, is that investment to me equals beyond marketing equals beyond for sure. messaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Equals because the concrete you could, things you can make the argument that marketing is extremely self-serving because it's about selling more product, right? Not actually investing in this community. So the, the point that you're getting to, which I agree with you, is, is that a lot of this comes down to what is the track record that these companies have as it relates to caring for these social issues and especially around diversity. Now, the one thing I will slightly disagree with you, or maybe I have a, not even disagree, like a slight nuanced way of thinking about it is that I agree, by the way, wholeheartedly that this has now turned into very much a diversity conversation across the board. But it didn't actually start that way. And it wasn't really built around initially, at least the, 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 the catalyst that really sparked this move was about police brutality and specifically how this group, primarily African-Americans, uh, are being treated or have been treated over years. And, and all the horrors that happened there with people getting, you know, being hurt and, and, and even dying in some cases. But that has now sort of blossomed beyond that. Now it's sort of moved into, great, you support having police reform, you support that these people, their lives actually matter. Well, what are you actually doing about it? How are you actually improving yeah. their lives? And it's grown significantly. So to the point about, about what is their track record, now one thing that we have seen uh, as a result of this moment is that you've seen a number of different organizations that have directly committed funding, somewhere along the, 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 the sort of the, the number about 1.7 billion specifically to advance racial justice and equality and equity. I'm sorry. Does that, does that include the, the, money, the, the money that has been put into funds for investments, or is that separate from the yeah, I'm not sure, that? actually, because there's a number of them. Because you've seen that. Uh, so I think that the types of investment have varied. Yeah. Some investment, which you're pointing out to, have been, in the case of funds specifically built, to try to support more dire uh, diverse um, uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, which is, you know, as diverse entrepreneurs ourselves, we realize how hard it is many times to get into those rooms to get those shots and some other folks just simply because yeah. of network connections, et cetera, are able to get those opportunities. SoftBank put aside like a hundred million. So, I mean, it's a yeah, lot of money. I'm, I'm, so I'm not sure that 1.7 billion includes that, right. but it's been sort of expressed in a bunch of different ways, yeah. right? Investment in community, investment in funds, all different ways. And I think that's a good part. Of, I think part of the challenge that you do have though, going back to that track record is that the reality is this is not the first time that we're dealing with police brutality, that we're dealing with a case of, of, of someone dying in this in sort of similar manner. And people remember that, look, when we look, when we go back and look at 2014, in the aftermath of the death of Michael Brown, who was also choked out and, 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 and passed away, 
there wasn't this kind of response. There was no like big movement, especially not by corporate America, in support of of or creating those 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 financial commitments for that. So part of the question then becomes what's different, right? And I think we've talked about this, but I do think there's two primary things that are different. One is the 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 energy that has been built around this current moment is the most diverse that we've ever seen, and specifically in support of by white Americans, by by non-diverse people. Uh, I think that's a bit of a very different element. Do you think about that's a piece. cause, or is that an effect of something? In other words, you, well, because you're saying that the, the, there's two primary reasons from your standpoint while we find ourselves in a different situation than we did in 2014, and one of them is this great amount oh, of support. Right. So I'm saying that's part of the reason why corporate America is not having to respond, sure. right? Yeah. Because now the the energy around seeing actual change is not just by this one group, African Americans. Is actually by a lot more people, right. which impacts everyone. And and I think this is where, when you were talking about, we don't talk maybe enough about it, but this is where it directly impacts employees, right? When especially companies that are that have much younger people, I think it's it's, it's much a reflection of the generation than anything else. With Gen, you know, uh, Gen X, I'm sorry, not Gen X, uh, Gen Z, as a generation, much more active, much willing to 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 actually do something about things. And I think that's part of that is a, is a result of that. Uh, I think that's one. I think the other thing, is, which is related, is that the overall, um, the the overall attitudes about people as it relates to how, how they consider uh, racial discrimination as a problem has actually increased quite a bit, right? So from about about half of people sort of saying that it was, it was an issue in 2015 to about now three and four, right? So to, up to about so 25%. a 25 point difference in terms of people thinking that. Racism specifically was a very important issue. Yeah, from or, four, from fourteen or fifteen to today. Right. So in yeah. the last five years, it's increased by fifty percent. Think of it that way. Yeah, right? it's a huge. That's a pretty jump. big jump. So yeah. everything from now, much larger groups saying it's important to address, to this coalition of different types of people really thinking this is important, I think has forced the hand of a lot of these companies to have to do something about it. And it is the force hand. I mean, let's not. It is because you know they wouldn't do it otherwise. They didn't have to. I have I have two things though that in a way I'm a little surprised you left out in your calculus, but this may be something that we can get into that I think are critical to explain the difference between 2014, 15, and today. And the two things are Donald Trump, number yep. one, that that election and the polarization that has since followed as a result of you know just volleys being thrown on every side. Um, which then turns things that could be good in and of themselves also have the additional benefit of being a, bl- a, a cudgel to hit the other side with, right? So that's got to be a big part of the calculus for me. And then the second part is, which is always the boogeyman for me, social media. It's six more years of yeah. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and the fact that this has now begun to impact an entire generation, the more activist generations, right, the, the whatever it is, the Gen Zs, maybe right. even alphas, that, that in 2014 or 15 were, you know, not really paying attention. They've now all come of age on, this, on these sort of social platforms. I think those things, to me, are maybe even more important than, than the first two that you mentioned. Yeah, I think that could be, that could be the case. I, I do think there's this change in attitude about racial discrimination considered to be a bigger problem. I, I agree Donald Trump is a big factor, but I also, compared to 2015, I think it's a combination of Obama and Donald Trump, meaning that I'm sure you heard mm-hmm. this when, when President Obama was, was still the active president, was that I remember hearing people trying to make an argument that there was really no more discrimination because now we had a black president. Like somehow, like whatever issue you had about discrimination, you could forget it because look, we 
we basically elected at the highest position possible in this country an African-American man. So what are you talking about racial discrimination? So in some way, I think it negated some of this conversation that was still happening in a lot of different ways. But you can make the argument that, well, yeah, but we have a president who's black. So therefore, like, what are you talking about? So I think that maybe in my mind to some people probably tempered some of the, the thoughts about discrimination being still a major issue in this country. Where now you fast forward, you have a combination of, of, of social media, much higher usage. In addition to Trump, a president had, let's be honest, has been, I think the way you described it, you know, the other day is about someone that basically continued to throw the log into the fire and had see it, see it blow my up. Back, I mean, my he back to the future reference. controversy as a mechanism to activate his base, of which race has been a big part of that conversation. So it heightens everyone's sensitivity to this being a, a still a big driver for how this, this country thinks. By the way, my secret desire is in every one of these podcast episodes to insert at least one or two 80s movie references. So the one that you just talked about was my Back to the Future one in an earlier episode. We'll see which one I can come up with today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, no, look, I, I, I think that you're right. Um, I think that the contrast maybe is a way to put it. Um, between the Obama administration, the Trump one, and the things that it highlighted, both you know positive and negative, because um, I guess you can make that case either way about the comment you just made. Um, it, it was definitely a, is definitely a part of this, no yeah. question. But I think that you know ultimately the idea that people have grown in their awareness, let's say that racism is an issue. I think can also be read as a positive or a negative. The positive is if you look at it through the lens of just awareness. Like there's now 25% more people who were not aware of racism now suddenly are. I think that's a reading of the data that's maybe a little rosy, maybe a little bit kind of like, you know, um, whatever the right terminology is. Well, being is. aware versus wanting to do something about it are two very well, different Well, they things. are, but what I mean is that I think that you can also make a case, wait a minute, we've been inundated in polarizing social mainstream content about race period over the last, certainly this summer, but like, you know, even before then, right? And as a result of that, people believe that this, that, that racism has suddenly resurged, has gotten much bigger than it once was, and therefore they're reflecting that in their answers to that to that yeah. particular question. Oh, I think you sure. could make a case around that potentially as well. Yeah, and by the way, just, just, on, just to keep ourselves on in terms of where the data is coming from, that one is specifically tied to a Monmouth University poll, which was released on June 2nd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what, how many people were part of that poll, but it is part of a poll that, that, that had that data. But, you know, we've been talking about in generalities for now as it relates to People feeling sort of the, the stance that, that companies are taking. But let, let's talk about a, a real timely example, which is the NFL. Um, finally. Finally. I know you've been wanting to, uh, to look at this. And there's a lot to, to unpack with as it relates to the NFL. Starting with, um, well, as, I think as everyone would knows, and we're recording this just because we need to do this, on uh, Tuesday, September 15th, right? So the NFL officially kicked off last Thursday uh, with a game between... Um, it was the the Chiefs, the Chiefs, sorry, and the Houston, I'm sorry, and the yeah, the, the Texans, Texans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Chiefs versus the Texans, right? Chiefs, are the defending Super Bowl champions. They are the Houston Texans, but I don't. People don't like. I don't know. I don't say it like that way. Yeah, I just I said the it, Texans. Uh, weird. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, no, no, it's fine. I'm just saying the Houston's kind uh, of falling so off. So this is something that had been coming up now for a while, right? Where the NFL was starting to had released earlier in the year part of what their plans were going to be in terms of how they were going to show some of their support as it relates to social. So this is this social moment, right? And this in particular was interesting for the NFL because it is somewhat of a reverse in their stance 
or where they had received a lot of heat in the past because specifically the position that they took against Colin Kaepernick and some of the some of his demonstrations, which he famously did by starting by taking a knee, him and a couple of other players. And, and they took a lot of heat because of basically the treatment that he received during that time, the, the blowback after the fact, the fact that he's been out of the league for a while, um, and Four because years. of pressure from players in the summer, Patrick Mahomes was even part of it. Roger Goodell, who is the, the who is the um, commissioner, the commissioner. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having a bad day right now. That's the commissioner okay. of, of the NFL. He's actually kind of forgettable. So yeah, let's... he put out a video where he basically said, "Mel Cooper, right? Like we messed up. We we should have been listening to you from the beginning." Well, he's uh, also spoken recently on some podcasts too, and they've he's asked gotten asked a question point blank. Yeah, he's apologized like literally by name. Yeah, no, yeah. he has. So he's been very public about this, mm-hmm. and he literally read word for word what the players collectively have put together. Now that story about how that video got put together for the players actually came from an employee of the NFL who came up with this idea, reached out to the, and with blessing from from management, reached out to different players and sort of organized this very organic sort of social moment of the NFL uh, players making this united message in support of Black Lives Matter and then asking the commissioner to do so as well. And he did, right? So as a result of that, there was all these plans that were going to be put out in terms of how the NFL was uh, was going to show support to this moment, which is complete reversal in terms of everything else. Now, this is following what we've seen now with the NBA, Major League Soccer, basically all of the other leagues who took stands pretty, pretty quickly, everything from taking a knee to having different phrases written in their jerseys, which is the NBA and the and WNBA has been very, very vocal about this as well. But now we're starting to see the sort of immediate response to that in the, in the case of the NFL, which is once again a league that has been pretty disciplined, good or bad, about trying to keep social issues outside of the game, right? So the first was, in this first game, there was this unity moment where both teams came together, middle of the field, and they started to get booed quite a bit. Now, a lot of that, I think what was interesting is I kind of heard both sides of the conversation, people booing as they sort of maybe felt that having this be part of the NFL game, just they didn't want it. Also, part of it was because like some of the, like one of the teams, I think it was the Texans. Yeah, the Texans stayed in their locker stayed room. Stayed in the locker room during during the, the national anthem. And there was probably, if all of the, if everything else holds true about the crazy world we're living in, probably half the people that were booing were booing right. for the Chiefs. The other half people were booing because the Texans stayed in their locker exactly. room. Exactly. So you're getting booed because you're having too much of this sort of in-your-face support for the social cause. You're getting booed because it's a, it's a kind of like a cop-out of this in-your-face. But basically, you're getting booed on both sides of the equation. Right. And, and so we looked at that and, and I guess before I get into the rest of it, kind of what's your first response when you saw that sort of first moment out starting off with the, with the season and the kind of response that they got from from uh, from uh, fans? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, the more and I definitely have some feelings about this, which we'll get into. I, I think that um, this is, you know, they've gotten to a point now, NFL, where they've a bit of a they're, they're in a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of dynamic. And I think that's really bad. I think that maybe has a chance to change with a new commissioner, frankly, right. um, whenever that is. But, you know, uh, Goodell's got like you know, a hundred million dollars and however many more years left. So I have no idea um, whether or not that's a likely thing, but it's going to require something of that nature of that size to kind of hit a little bit of a reset. Cause right now they are getting it from all angles and all sides. Yeah. Kaepernick's pissed at them, calling them, you know, basically fakes and phonies. Right. And at the same time, the conservative ends of the equation 
are complete are like you know tearing up their tearing their jerseys right and we're never going to watch nfl again um uh, eric trump jr or maybe it was donald trump jr i forget which one is which but one of them tweeted like it's over nfl we're breaking up forever so actually trump has talked about it as well sure uh, yeah i'm sure he has as well Uh, well no he definitely famously has talked about it but i'm saying just as a result of the the ceremonies is what i'm talking about so to get yourself as a leader in that situation where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, you need a massive reset. Yeah, and the massive reset yeah. usually is a change of personnel at the very top. So kind of laying that out as the sort of groundwork, I will say that, my, that, that the other thing that, that is very clear and evidenced by the data, and to this I would you know, bring in the other um, uh, study that we looked at, that sports across the board as an industry has definitely taken a positivity hit over the course of you know, the last several months. And so- it's clear to me, and I feel this personally. I really do. I am one of those purists about sports. I love sports. You and I both do. We both were, you know, high school athletes. We've worked with, you know, professional leagues. We've invested in uh, sports-related projects. Like, we're all in on sports. But for me, maybe because of that and this idea of being more of a purist about sports— I want to see sports remain the bastion of competition and excellence and athletics and all that 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 it is and not have all of this sort of noise around it, which even if it's for a good reason, taints what the game actually is. And so for me, like that's my, I start from that perspective. Yeah, no, and I, listen, I I can, I understand that perspective. What's interesting about that response that that you just made about the sort of for the purity of the game is I actually understand that point. I, I get it. I get, especially Especially in this super complicated time that we have, we have COVID, we have all of these political and social discourse that is happening right now. We're in the middle of an election. We have these raging fires in California. People can't breathe because of so much smoke. There's so many bad things that are happening now is can we get a, a timeout? Can we get a space to be able to just enjoy without getting sort of that real life kind of hitting us over the head at all, at all times? I get that. But still, when I hear it, it still sounds like a nicer version of just shut up and dribble. And unfortunately, I think that that is probably the reaction that many people are going to have to that comment, even if it comes with really good intent and for the reasons that we just described. Let me let me give you, um, I think, what, this, what that's rooted in. I think people, when they hear that, think, oh, my gosh, you're shutting down the athlete from having a platform to speak. This is his platform. This is or her place where they can actually tell the world what they feel about these right. issues, and these issues are important. I agree with every part of that. What I disagree with is what the platform actually is. I look at it, somebody like LeBron James, who we've talked about before, who has 72 million followers on Instagram. I would say that is his platform. That's where you can take the equity that you've built up as an incredible athlete playing a beautiful game that brings people together, where you can take that equity and then utilize it to advance all of the things that you believe you're passionate about. In fact, I think today athletes have the advantages that Jesse Owens and Muhammad Ali and people like that in the past never had. Jackie Robinson where those guys would have a reason to say, let's stop the game and let me tell you about why racism is bad. And they didn't do that, despite the fact that they should have more so because they didn't have the platforms that that a lot of the athletes and, 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 you know, people have today. So to my mind, it's, I think that any, any backlash against a statement like that to me would be rooted in a misunderstanding of where the platform is. I don't believe the platform is at the center line or half court or, 
or or at the end zones. In fact, that's part of why I think a lot of this stuff rings fake to me. Yeah. I believe the platform is with the equity that the athletes and the teams have built. Well, let's let's break yeah. that up a little bit because yeah. I think part of it is the equity that the that the and voice that athletes have and and how can they can exercise it versus sort of where the forum is where they could exercise it, right? So what's interesting about that comment of shut up and dribble, if I remember correctly, I'm trying to go, I'm going from memory, so I apologize if I get For it the wrong. record, I never said that. Huh? No, no, you didn't. I'm, I'm simply, <laughs> no, no. Uh, what, what I'm, what, I'm the reason I bring that up, you. Charlie, is simply to, to give you the perspective, which I know you have, about when other people hear that, that's what they hear. Even if you, like, you did not say that at all, you're not, and I know it comes from a good place, but when people hear that, that's where their mind, their mind goes. Now, part of it, the reality is that we're in such a polarizing moment that even when people make reasonable arguments, the interpretation of that data coming through the other side is like the worst version you could possibly think of, right? But that comment about shut up and dribble actually, I think, was initially said by Laura Ingram. And it was a response, I want to say it was LeBron James, on either something that he did on Twitter or in a post-game interview. But it was actually nothing that happened in the actual game itself. And what's interesting is it goes back to this kind of response that even in places, even when it goes outside of the game, that no, 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 you're an athlete, you're well, not a politician, you should have nothing to say about this, is unfortunately part of the backdrop that now leads to this moment of where these athletes, and especially in the NBA that has been so player first, are taking back their agency, their voice, and are now saying, listen, not only am I going to be able to talk about what I want to talk about in my own time, but... I want to, I want this league to mean more than simply just me playing while I'm here and leverage those moments to actually make more lasting impact than whether or not I get X number of, of points and rebounds. Yeah, I completely disagree, as we've talked about earlier, with the fact that if anybody says that a professional athlete shouldn't use their, their platform, meaning their followers, their sites, their content projects or whatever it is, to speak their mind on issues that they're passionate about. I, I believe the exact opposite. I think they should. So I, I, I can't speak for Laura Ingram or anybody else who said something different, but that's what I actually feel. But yeah. I do think that that's the platform that people don't focus on. They think of the platform as the end zone, the national anthem, all of these different things. And my argument would be that those are significantly less less effective platforms to carry out your own particular position on issues. And so part of, part of my issue, you know, to get back to the, the sort of basic objections and challenges that I have to this and, and is about, this isn't what sports is about, right? We've, I, I think there's a misunderstanding of what the platform is. And I think if anybody had a right to do what's happening today, it is Jesse Owens. It is Jackie Robinson. It is Muhammad Ali to have stopped the match in the middle of the fight with Joe Frazier and said, Vietnam is bad. Like those guys, because that's the only time when they could actually be seen in this way. I think that right. today's they're, athletes... They're, what you're saying is their avenues to get their voice out were, were significantly way more limited, limited because of the Significantly time more limited. Yeah. So no, I would say fair. that those guys even should have done that, sure. and, 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 and they didn't. So that's one issue. Yeah. The second issue that I have, it goes back to the whole idea of being disingenuous and fake. And this I definitely want to have a little banter with you. To me is there's something vaguely creepy, opportunistic perhaps, and just questionable about the effectiveness of having a little two-inch end racism thing on somebody's hat on the sidelines of a professional, you know, athletic contest. And the fact that if you dig deeper, you find out that the NFL only approved four messages that the yeah. athletes and players could pick. You can pick from four, you can have none. When you, when you know all that, and as a marketer, I go, is this really 
Like, the is this really effective? Is this really authentic? Does this really work? And does to this me, check the box? Does it check? It, well, that's what it feels like to me. That's what it yeah. feels like to me. Yeah. Well, I guess, okay, so that's actually a really great, great point to talk about, which is the part that we're in absolute agreement on is the approach that the NFL has taken to how to address this definitely just feels fake. I, I, I will start with that. And it just feels like big missteps, starting with, even before we get into what's in people's helmet, is part of the controversy that was immediately caused at the beginning of the game and the very first game is that the, so the NFL decided to do um, basically put together a video that was produced that was uh, basically of, a, of what's considered as the, the Black Anthem, right? Which is Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is a, a Baptist song, mm-hmm. right? Gospel song. A yeah. gospel song, sorry. A gospel song, mm-hmm. right? Now, in this gospel song, as, as you probably would, are going to guess, is there was a lot of imagery related to this moment of social injustice and how players themselves are getting involved in the cause. And they showed multiple players in the front line supporting uh, some of the protesters. But then they also included as part of this, this player's original video of Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed kneeling during the time where they were doing their, basically their protesting uh, a few years back. And the moment that the NFL blasted them for, for doing that. And you can still make the argument, and part of the reason why Kaepernick is no longer in the league, and, and as a matter of fact, Eric Reed is not even playing right now, even though he had a massive, he had his best year ever last year, set multiple records for the Panthers, but he's not playing right now either. Maybe that gets resolved. Obviously too early to tell, but this thing where you add this video and add in the players that you yourself ostracized, and now they're part of your message going forward about how much you care about the community, like that feels just... Not right. And especially because as much as Goodell has publicly said that he was wrong for not listening to Kaepernick, at least to my knowledge, there hasn't been yet a single conversation between those two parties to try to make amends other than just making your public apology, which anyone can do that. You can apologize without ever wanting to actually engage with that person directly. Yeah. Again, when you manage to piss off Donald Trump and Colin Kaepernick about the same thing, you're yeah, in a tough you're spot. Just, you're not having a good day. <laughs> you're in a tough spot. Tough spot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, look, I, I saw the video. I thought it was well done. I thought it was it was nice, sort of aesthetically. Um, I understand how to somebody, although I don't know Colin Kaepernick, and, and there's some things I, I disagree with him on. Um, not all, but some I do think that I could see it from his perspective as like, come on, man, give me a break. Like right. You know, here I am doing all this stuff, and now that it's fashionable, now you're going to try to what he sees as cashing in on it. Yeah, right? don't pull me into your PR your PR strategy don't as a way to validate your your work. If part of it was look, if that same video was all forward facing, was all about the current moment and how the NFL has changed their tune in supporting the players, people will still have an issue with it. Let's be honest, right? There will still be some issue, but I could be much more supportive of that kind of. Message of yeah, saying, but it was to get you psyched about football. It was to get you hyped about football, about the new season. I mean, that's what it was about. It was a marketing message, fundamentally. It, it was. It's just uh, pulling in these players, and especially in the case of someone like Colin Kaepernick, that is still outside looking in. And like, well, that's whether, what, how that's, much that's, by the way, that's what I mean. Not. That's what I mean. In other words, it's not like, look, we've here's all the things we're interested in and involved in, and look at our community efforts. This is a like a marketing thing. Right. So it's meant to drive ratings, to drive apparel sales, to drive all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what makes it most objectionable to yeah. somebody like Kaepernick well, or, or Reed. For sure. So I mean, so that's obviously not well played. And, and I think it's really about that track record, right, that the NFL has, is that they've been historically 
very tough on players, on anyone else that tries to support any kind of social cause of what they agree yes. with or don't agree with. Yes. While at the same time showing tons of leniencies for bad slash criminal behavior of really good athletes. And somehow find a way to get them back well, into a lot the of what you're still playing, by the way. Say it again. A lot of whom are still playing. For sure. I mean, I mean there is some like classic yeah. major, major cases of superstars that were accused of things that were tied with actual criminal cases. Domestic violence. Domestic violence. There's all kinds of like really yeah. terrible things that have happened of these players that if you're good enough, it sounds like we could figure it out. But the second that you have your opinion and you try to put it in the game, oh, no, 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 we got to cut that off. I'm glad you brought up the, the, that point because that leads me to the last point that I have in terms of the reasons that I um, you know, object to the NFL's handling of all of this. And that is what I view as its inconsistency. And I, I want to definitely talk about the, the whole idea of how rigid they've been about this stuff because this brings up an issue you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the inconsistency – and I'm talking about not like 50 years worth of inconsistency. I'm talking about like eight years worth of inconsistency. You go back to 2012 and all the stuff that went on around Tim Tebow, his kneeling, right? He was kneeling to pray. The NFL didn't formally take an action against him, but it definitely caused a lot of uproar. There was all kinds of articles written pro and con. There was actually a couple, there was one player, I forget exactly who it was, who sacked him one time and mocked him, kind of like took a knee as like he was praying after he after he sacked him. Yeah. So the guy got like that, completely, yeah. uh, if you remember who it was, I, I still remember who I it was. I don't know, but um, I do remember that. that but happening. like all of that stuff happened and he used to, you know, paint some scripture verse on his, uh, on the black, you know, makeup that they wear John, on their John faces, 316, think, so. John 316, which, you know, the NCAA in college when he did it, banned it. And then, but you know, he, he was basically told the NFL, don't even try that. Don't even bring that over here. So we're not, we're not doing that. You have that in 2013, Brandon Marshall, uh, wore these green cleats to raise awareness of mental health problems. RG three, right. The famous RG three that plays for the, the Washington team now, formerly known as the, as the wash, at least when he played, there was he called the play, Washington. Yeah. Redskins, um, not in the league anymore, but he, uh, you know, entered a press conference wearing a shirt that said, no Jesus, no peace. And he, you know, some people say he was forced to turn it around more than likely he turned it around himself. He turned it inside out. But the reason for it, if you read some of the, the uh, articles from back then was he didn't want to be fined for wearing a shirt, you know, about, about, or that mentioned Jesus. Panthers player, D'Angelo Williams in 2015 was fined for wearing a find the cure, eye black thing under his eyes for Cancer Awareness Month. 2015, the Steelers player William Gay was fined for wearing purple cleats to raise awareness of domestic violence, which right. as we just we discussed. Wanna, yeah, let's not talk, a, talk about that one. There's a couple of issues there, I mean, for sure. In, yeah. um, uh, in 2016, the NFL prevented the Cowboys from wearing a decal on their helmet to honor the five uh, cops who, who were uh, you know, basically sniped at. I remember that whole thing that happened in yeah, Dallas, murdered, which, was, yeah. which was horrible. Um, and, you know, the, the, the players weren't allowed to commemorate 9-11 on 2016. So there's all of these sort of inconsistencies, at least that I see them now as inconsistencies, if you go back and apply the same test that we have now to these other things. And I think that's the issue. Now, it all leads to this whole idea of how you enforce them and how rigid and all that stuff, which I think is the real issue. But it's hard for me to get behind how inconsistent I view some view this in practice. But don't you, don't you see all those as as shortcomings from the league? I do. Um, in the sense, and this is I think I think what it actually all speaks to is the differences of the NBA versus the NFL. Is the NFL has always been team first, owner first, versus the NBA being player first. 
And all of the reasons, all the things you just described to me are great examples of just crappy handling of things that if you were a league that put more value, more premium against your players first and foremost, why wouldn't you want to support your Dallas players who went through a massive, it was actually a national tragedy, it's not just a, a Dallas tragedy, and recognize these, these poor people that were killed by no fault of their own by some crazy person with a sniper rifle. Like, it feels so misguided. And yet, turn around, and I think the, the, the craziest of the one is the one about domestic violence. So like, no, 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 we can't recognize or don't want to have anyone honor the, 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 the importance of preventing domestic violence. But if you happen to get caught beating up your girlfriend in, in an elevator, we may figure out a way to get you back in the league. Like that is crazy to me. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know how you reconcile those two thoughts. I don't think you can. And I think the challenge, though, is again they've let the genie out of the bottle, in my opinion, because you can make the argument, which is why I didn't have like I wasn't making podcasts about this in 2013 or 14, is because the policy was easy to understand. It's like you're not allowed to bring your personal opinions onto your jerseys, onto your press conference, in the after the game uh, talk with the reporter. Leave that stuff somewhere else. It's a rule that applies to everyone. Everyone has to live with it. It is what it is. And everybody sort of live with it. Now you can't like now they're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube in my mind. And it's super, super difficult, right? Because again, I would say, you know, in a way, if you look at it kind of, you know, politically, it's, it's almost like they started off as a dictatorship, right? They're like, Roger Goodell's the boss. You guys march to the beat of this drum. It applies to everybody identically. And if you do your job, you're going to get, you know, paid and you're going to get fed. Like it was a dictatorship. Now it's slid more into kind of like slide it into kind of fascism, which is you're allowed to express yourself. We're just going to tell you what to say. Right. Which is what expressions will be. (laughs) We're going to tell you what the expressions will be. We're going to tell you. There were four approved things that could be worn. And they, they they were you know defined, and there, there was obviously the option that you didn't have to wear it. You couldn't you didn't have to wear it's something. Just, you could have just none, right? you yeah. could have just done none. But my point is that that to me is not what is being claimed: freedom of expression of the athletes, ability to talk about things that are important. It's not. It's ability to talk about the things, by the way, which I agree with. But it's about only those things, and that's where I think it's wrong, and that's where I think it leads you to all these very uncomfortable things, which is like, okay, well, somebody's going to say. My cause is X, and it's going to be different from diversity or Black Lives Matter right. or whatever. Why can't I talk about it? Why can't I talk about it? Sure. And, and I think it is going to create those those not hard conversations that the NFL needs to deal with, but it is just a series of missteps and a series of just, I, I think the biggest problem that the NFL has is the fact that as a business, as a culture, their values and how they preach players need to behave on the field does not align to how they operate as a league that is for profit, right? And and I think the best examples are in basically rewarding these players who have committed crimes and, and done things that really they should have no part of the league whatsoever if they really felt this strongly about keeping the, the, the league as clean as possible. I do think that we're at a moment where, to your point about the genie out of the bottle, is that you could only do that for so long. The players, because of social, massive social following, a lot of them being stars before they even get to college, right? You you, see, you have these players that are just, they're, they're massive stars already, uh, are changing the, the power dynamic or where players will continue to get more power. But I also think one, one theory of mine is, I think one of the biggest reasons why you're seeing the NFL take a much more serious look against trying to address some of these social issues, specifically around diversity, 
is the fact of what players are actually talking about it. And I think the NFL has a problem, and I say problem in a, in a sort of cheeky way, but with Patrick Mahomes being who he is, how young he is, African-American quarterback, someone that actually cares about this causes, was involved in, these, in, 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 in some of these videos, and more and more of these African-American quarterbacks now having these strong position of power with individual teams in the league, I think is, it changes the dynamic of the kind of voice that African-American football players have within the league and how much they could push the agenda forward of the NFL having to respond. Similar to what we were talking about before, right? Of corporations having to respond because of external pressure. Yeah. The pressure that Goodell, part of the reason why he did make that statement was because you had all of these Deshaun, um, I forget the guy from, from Texans. What's his Deshaun name? Watson. Deshaun Watson, thank yeah. you. African, well, once again, like big, big stars that are African-Americans with strong voices, supportive of these causes. I think it's forcing the league to have to actually pay attention and do something about it. Now, how, they, how they're doing it, I think, is really crappy, to your point. I agree with you. I think this is probably the worst scenario in the case of everyone hating them. That's terrible. But, 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 I, think, but I do think that the catalyst, the, the, the catalyst for, for, for driving that change is, has more to do with about who the players are than even some of the outside pressure because in the past— They've been able to push all that off and say, no, nope, we're the NFL, the most powerful league in the, in the, in the country. And you're going to have to play by our rules. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think that, again, it's going to be near impossible to unring the bell now that you've rung it. I, I can see maybe a reset around a new commissioner or something like that. But beyond that, I think it's just a matter of time between you, b- before you have a player like, I, I mean, I think of a guy like Benjamin Watson, right, who just retired in March of this year, tight end for the Patriots, really good player outspoken pro-life advocate. I could see him putting on the back of his helmet defund Planned Parenthood. Sure. Well, that's going to get really interesting when, when you I start mean, getting a a, a, uh, a social issue or a cause, maybe not social, a cause that is not as popular, right? One of the things that makes it easier to push these things forward is that the general consensus is that people believe, hey, you know, discrimination and... Uh, you know, racial biases against people for, for no, no, no fault of their own is a bad thing. So therefore we can rally around it, but you're right. And honestly, I don't have a software. I don't know how you, how you solve for that because that is going to create massive, massive controversy. Yeah, I think the the last point that that relates to this topic is the whole idea why the rigidity of those rules existed to begin with among um, the NFL. And it was the idea of driving uniformity, right? I mean, we have the term uniform from the word, you know, you, we use the, the word uniform to describe what players wear and what they look like. Um, and it's derivative, obviously, of this idea of uniformity for a reason. And that is that, you know, l- looking the same, having the same shared of values, that kind of thing in a team sport is something that drives cohesion and team spirit and, you know, teamwork and all those different things, at least historically it has. And so I think that there is probably a good reason or good case to be made for why there was that rigidity of those rules. But now it's like the rules seem to be gone somewhat. And now they're either going to have to go, you know, they're going to have to do something. Right. And, and, and my last thought on this, which is just kind of one of the, the sort of a, I don't know if it's an insight, but it's a, it's a reflection or a thought that I had about this is that, you know, it seems to me that the lines have blurred so much where, you know, proper tribalism, if there is such a thing, 
They used to be sports, right? I'm a Cleveland Brown. You're a Patriot. I'm a Jet. You're a Giant. I'm a Cowboy. You're a Washington team uh, person. Washington, Washington <laughs> team. I don't know. I don't know what. Out. I don't know what you call it, but um, <laughs> Washingtonian. Um, yeah. And 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 we had this sense of tribalism, and of course it was kind of fake, but it was sure. fun to to do it. That proper tribalism, and I'm putting it in air quotes, proper tribalism, which was sports, has now become politics, at least but from a lot of people's perspective. And, you know, the the thing that wasn't tribal or should not have been tribalistic, which is politics, has become really tribal, right? The whole idea oh, of like super, yeah, yeah, yeah. my group against your group. Well, you're entirely defined by what political party you or, or ideology you align yourself with. I think to that point, though, the, the one thing that we've sort of alluded to this, right, but we haven't actually talked about it, which is how do fans feel about this, right? The level of actual response. You can use that. You can look at the ratings at the first, the primetime ratings, which I think we talked about. Uh, happened for both Thursday night football. The first game was 13% down. Sunday night, that was down 21% uh, down versus 2019. But as it relates to the actual feeling that fans have as it relates to all of this social conversation, there was a survey that was conducted by ESPN and published on August 13th, so two days ago. And what they found is 7 out of 10 sports fans support teams and athletes speaking out on issues of social justice and racial inequality. Uh, which, by the way, I was surprised it was that high. I honestly thought it would be a, but, lot, a but, lot lower. But even think about that question relative to what we just talked about. I would answer that question, yes. But right. it's the question it is where, the forum, but, but where yeah, and when. Yeah, let, let me let me cover yeah. that, right? Uh, of this, by the way, nearly half of those fans surveys say they were more, like, more likely to support teams and athletes who speak out than they were last year. So there was a versus 20% said they were less likely. Now, in terms of where, which is the, thing, the, the, the question you're getting into, right? Overall, 51% of those responded uh, in the survey felt players should share their views during events, meaning like during the actual games, while 49% say they should speak out away from the field of court. That's overall. Now, when you break that out by actual ethnicity, which becomes really interesting, for black fans, 76% said that they, could, that they should share it during, during the actual venues or in games, 61% for Hispanics, and 46% for whites. So very similar to the first stats that we saw at, at, in terms of uh, brands speaking out about issues. Those numbers are very similar. They, they are very similar. Sort right? of on the sort whole of kind of 50-50 and across the different ethnicities, less so for, for white Americans, more so for diverse ones. So, but but when, you, when, you, when you hear that, I, I had the same, actually the same response when I saw that, that data. What is your response? Because my response when I see that, like, well, well wait a minute. So... Maybe this isn't so much about sports being this thing we got to preserve for the purity of it that we basically get to unplug away from sort of real world problems. A little bit the tribalism you talked about. Maybe it isn't about that at all. Maybe it's like certain people just feel that, hey, as it relates to these social issues, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want companies talking about it. I don't want anything that is like a, a game talking about it unless I specifically seek it out in these sort of very defined forums. I don't want to hear it. It almost, it definitely feels at least for some of these folks, a little bit of that bury your head in the sand kind of mentality that they just don't want to hear it. And it could be, we talked about this in one of our controversial questions, that could be a little bit of fatigue factor as well because you're hearing it everywhere all the time. So there could be a genuine reaction or counter reaction to this overloading, the sensory overload that has been happening uh, definitely this year. And I think especially leading up to these, uh, um, with everything happened with George Floyd, protests, and then everything leading up to the, to the presidential elections. 
I think that, um, so to answer your question, I would say yes, more than likely there is a significant subset of the population that would prefer to have the field of play be the field of play. And if they had a choice and you're asking them, what's your opinion, right? right. So whether or not and they overall, live with it. it's half, by the way, which is it's pretty divided, actually. That's what I mean. That's a, that's, so I would say it's, yes, there's a probably pretty big group that does that. I think that, again, we have to tease out, you know, the, the I'm glad they asked the field of play question because that's the first question that I have. Sure. And then, you know, let alone look at the effectiveness of, of, of speaking your mind then as opposed to speaking your mind on these Outside of that, massive yeah. platforms that, you know, a lot of these athletes have. So I do think that that's part of it. And I also think, man, we got to think about wh- like what year we've, we're living through, right? I mean, you brought up some of this at the beginning. You got 40 plus million people unemployed. You got people that have not been able to, you know, either wanted to or been able to leave their home for most, for a lot of reasons, Corona chief among them. But in California, now we got fires to contend with and all this other stuff. You got people who haven't seen any sports like in live sports and for the most part for six, seven months. And, you know, in that context, and I think it is always important to look at context, I can see that whatever percentage of the people who are naturally averse to this to begin with, they're even more so now. They're more so because it's like, can I just have, it reminds me, okay, here's my 80s reference. I found the movie Falling Down. Do you remember this with, uh, no. or is it Falling Down with uh, Michael Douglas? Um, oh man, I may have this wrong. I may need to look this up. He's an LA guy. He's just trying to drive home. He's on his commute home and his car breaks down and like everything starts going wrong and he just basically flips out and goes like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was I, called. I remember, I remember it, but I, okay, I I'm going to look it up, it, but I'm going to look it up, about. but I'm glad I thought of one, uh, you know, eight, late eighties, I think in that case, a movie reference. But in that case, it's kind of like that guy's day. It's like, okay, I lost my job. I, I now it's like I can't breathe the air. Um, there we all hate each other, and sure. politics are you know MSNBC said these people are terrible, and Fox says these people are terrible, and I'm caught in the middle of it, and I I'd, I'd like to see the game, and, and it's not that I'm not I'm not saying I don't care about these other things, but the context of where I care is, is important, and you know what to those people like I get it, I get that, I understand that. And I think in the world that we live in today, where there's so many sources of info and so many different ways to get at this information, I get it even more so because we are surrounded by, by media. And I think for a lot of people, like that's, you know, it's a legitimate thing. It's a legitimate thing. Yeah, no, I understand that. But I think maybe the, the part that I keep on going back to is that what's the objective here? If, if, if the objective as it relates to that kind of social discourse in support against racial discrimination and some of the inequalities that are out there, is it to do it in a manner where everyone feels, for the most part, pretty comfortable and doesn't get interrupted in their day-to-day? Or is the objective to actually drive actual change? Okay, right. well, then you're making an argument for effectiveness of these things, and I, I would just disagree. I, I don't think that they're effective. So I agree with you. If that's where the, if those are the forums that were the most effective, then everyone else be damned, because this is where we have to actually have this conversation. I disagree. I think that a two-inch thing on the back of somebody's helmet by people who are making tens of millions of dollars who just decided to care about this, at least that's what it seems, right. is yeah, completely yeah. ineffective. Yeah, no, I agree on the NFL being ineffective, yeah. right? but I do think that using these moments to actually push this agenda forward, to make it top of mind for everyone, I do think is a lot more effective than what we give it credit to. I think the best example that we can probably point to right now most recently was what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks in their game where they decided to literally walk out of the game. Yeah. Like that was unprecedented. And I love the fact that the very first thing those guys did, either they had no idea what they were going to do, first of all. They just, they just could not see how they could play that game 
in the background of yet one more person being, in this case, shot, not killed, but in this case, uh, uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob Blake. Blake. Um, but I love that their second thought was like, okay, we don't know what we're going to do, but let's bring people real quick into the room with us to figure out what we can do. And they called, they called the, the government. The governor or something. Yeah, yeah. A governor and the governor itself. Yeah. Like even that moment, I thought was honestly like pretty inspiring, right? Like you have these like really young guys that yeah. are trying to figure out what they're going to do. They have this, this, this forum. That's the ultimate interruption to the game. Say, we're not even going to play. And at least in that specific example, they felt that at least they were trying to get some kind of tangible action that could come back with something a little bit more meaning. Now, the NBA as a whole, as a result of that, did put some 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 policy in place. And this, I think it will be really interesting when we look about at this five years from now, because we won't know really the reality of the extent of all this, how much of that change really did happen because of some of the protests, how much of the change that happened with the NFL, my guess, probably none, honestly, with the little sign in the back of the head or the video that completely is, uh, you know, pandering to people. But in the case of someone like the NBA and it's specific around the playoffs, what policy can you point to? What change can you point to that these guys may have been able to create? And other, and I think if you, if you didn't take advantage of those opportunities, it's sort of one less tool in your toolbox to try to make actual change happen. I've been very critical of um, professional athletes in, in past episodes and just in conversations with you about sometimes them jumping to conclusions or doing things too quickly. I do agree with you that the, the Bucks' decision to kind of seek counsel from people who know about stuff is is an admirable thing, and I'd like to see hopefully more of that kind of thing. By the way, Falling Down was the name of the movie. Sadly, it was not an 80s movie, 1993. So I was pretty close, but there you go. Yeah, just by a decade. Other than that, you're... No, a decade, three years. What are you talking about? 1993. It could have been 89. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so how do, we, how do we bring this home? How do we put a bow on this conversation with... Uh, as it relates to sports. Well, I, I think my takeaway, and this is, you can look at the NFL as the perfect kind of use case, but it speaks broadly to this mistrust that people have about corporations and and especially as it relates to their external messaging versus their internal dealings, right? Which is this notion that people are going to be both looking at, are going to be critical of A, your track record, and but maybe more importantly is what are you doing now going forward? What are you doing different? Because the reality is if you focus simply on track record, it's a little bit unfair and not as helpful because the reality is this hasn't been top of mind for a lot of us. And even people that are in the in the actual political sector, let's be honest about that. There's a lot of policy that could have been put in place to address some of these issues that we have now and it's been ignored, right? So you can't put all the blame on corporations, on companies that are for profit. Well, that is not the core part of what they do as a business, even if you're a sports league. So, but the question becomes like, what are you actually trying to do how can you use your forum to actually make real change that goes beyond simply putting together some sassy creative? And I think what the NFL is finding is that they need to fully reconcile their history a little bit, fully reconcile what they're going to do going forward, because simply putting out a, a, a press release or a tweet from the commissioner in direct response of his biggest stars basically forcing his hand to do it and now going in this a little bit of this 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 tour and saying is all yeah no we yeah we probably messed up yeah you're probably right let's go ahead and put up a little video and, and have people have a, you know a little bit of signage in the back of their helmets we should be fine not enough right like not that is work. not enough and i think that's the the reality that as a a leader in your organization you're going to have to really face your you know look yourself in the mirror and see what am i actually doing to create real change both within my organization, if I have issues with diversity gaps within my group, within my leadership, not just an entry level, but what am I doing to bring up more diverse people into my into my team? 
and then externally focus. What am I doing beyond simply marketing to more people so I can make more money? What am I doing to actually invest in these communities to leave this to be a, actually a better place? The impact to sports has been definitely felt. Um, and al- although I agree and understand the ESPN stats that you shared a moment ago, the other stat that we had, which we didn't talk about, but I just want to mention really quickly before I give you my bottom line, was the Gallup poll study yeah. that compared year over year change in positive ratings of industries. They've been doing this for 20 years across every industry, farming and engineering and law and everything else. And they measure sports and have been have been measuring sports for over 20 years. And in the last year, the net positive ratings of the sports industry had a negative 30-point swing, meaning that most people had a positive 20 or, you know, basically had a very positive regard um, of the sports industry. And they now have overall, all U.S. adults have, a, have had a negative change in perception and positivity with respect to the industry. And I think that is indicative of nothing else that we're now poli- now politics and all this division and all this stuff has entered, no matter how you feel about it, has entered the realm of sports. And that's something that is reflecting negatively in the numbers. And there's a lot of ways that we can fix it, I think, potentially. But the the impact seems clear that at least now it's been it's become sadly a point of division. Here's here's my bottom line for brands and for um, sports businesses. I would say number one. Uh, make sure that you excel at what you do fundamentally before you sort of wait out there and try to be authoritative on all other things. And I say this because I've seen good and bad over the course of the, the last many months in terms of how companies have responded to this. The, the worst examples, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help to name people here. I'm, we're not trying to embarrass anybody or, or do anything bad. But, you know, the worst examples have been just kind of putting out the, you know, black square on Instagram or what have you. And I think in those cases, what they do is they actually, um, they actually undermine what it is that you're trying to do. So I think you have to excel at what you're doing as a company, as a brand. And then when you do turn into this, uh, wade into these different issues, you have to invest as opposed to transact. That would be my number two. Which is that you know it's one thing to say that the, that things are important. It's one thing to say that you know communities of color are important. It's a whole other thing to invest in them and to actually use insights from those communities to transform and advance your business or brand. So big change between investment and transaction. And the last thing for me, which is kind of marketing and branding one hundred and one. Remember your consumer, especially the context of consumers right now, for all of the, the, the reasons that indicate that they are open to brands speaking about things and also all of the data that indicates the kind of year they've had and the kind of you know, difficulties that they've had to overcome, particularly in communities of color, which we've talked about on this, on this podcast many times. So I think remembering the consumer. So make sure you excel at what you do, invest, not transact, and remember your consumer before you step out into the fray and always look at the world through their eyes. That would be kind of my, uh, my bottom line. Yeah, I love those. Very cool. Well, thanks, Jesus. Thank you, Charlie. Another show in the bag. Can't wait to see what comes are, are next. Still, I think we're still friends, right? As a, as of course. Least, yeah, oh, that's of course. Good. Of good. course. Every, for every episode that we I do, th- we're still friends. So I think we'll be on. in very good shape. Come on. Yeah, look, I think that, again, like any of the topics we've discussed, this one can go a long way and could have a lot of different nuance. But the important thing is to, to talk about these things yeah. and tease them out, right? I think that we can't throw away um, the person with the argument, and we have to try to really seek to understand what it is they're saying. Because oftentimes, to your earlier point, what we think we hear 
is not what somebody actually said. So um, anyway, thank you for listening. We look forward to uh, being with you again real soon and talking to you about all these issues on the Diversity Remix podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.